Welcome to the No More Late Fees podcast. I'm Jackie. And I'm Danielle, and we're just two best friends and ex-Blockbuster employees re-watching some of the best and worst movies from the late 90s and early 2000s. This week, we are about to get our nerd on with the 1998 Marvel movie Blade. And if you want to get some behind the scenes access, I'm sure we're going to have a ton of bonus features from this um, episode and you can check Danielle and I out uh, playing with the mustache and eyebrow features <laughs> on Zoom. Head on over to patreon.com slash no more late fees. You'll get that exclusive content. We have our first closing time scheduled with our girls from Roll Call Podcast. And we're just going to hang out and have a happy hour and chit chat. And it's going to be really relaxed and we're just going to shoot the shit and have a lot of fun. So head on over to Patreon and subscribe. I love our exclusive content. Really. It's (laughs) just us fucking up and laughing about it. It really is. (laughs) So Jackie, tell the people what Blade is about. Who Blade is. Would you like to know who Blade is? Yes, I would. (laughs) He is half mortal half immortal and is out to avenge his mother's death and rid the world of vampires. The modern day technologically advanced vampires he is going after are in search of his special blood type needed to summon an evil God who plays a key role in their plan to execute the human race. Blade stars Wesley Snipes. Really, we just should say starring Blade because (laughs) Wesley disappears in this movie. He is Blade. Blade is him. He is one with the force. It also stars Stephen Dorff, Chris Christopherson, and Boucher Wright, and Donald Logue. It was written by David S. Goyer and directed by Stephen Norrington. And you can watch it on Peacock. But before we get started, let's get into our ratings rewind. So you know the drill. Before we get into the movie, we'll reveal the rating our Y2K versions of ourselves would give. Then at the end, we'll see if our current selves agree with our initial rating. Our scale consists of would buy it, would buy it again. The best would play on repeat. Five-day rental. Would watch again. Two-day rental. Okay, but nothing to write home about. Same-day rental trash straight up trash i couldn't think of anything (laughs) i was like can i fit garlic mace somewhere in here and then i was like no it's not gonna happen (laughs) all right patrice what's your y2k rating definitely would buy would buy again jackie i've never seen the original blade (laughs) i don't know how somehow i hopped over the original and went straight to blade 2 and blade trinity but it happened but i've rectified a wrong and i'm here to tell my tale and that's why i need y'all's help (laughs) you're telling this tale during black history month jesus the offense (laughs) But you know what, Jackie? We love you fullheartedly. You've you you've seen the problem, you've admitted it, and you've corrected it. So all is good. And you've seen the other two. I have. And I'm glad that you have corrected it. Yes. 
Y2K Danielle loves this movie. And she gave it a would buy it. I had that shit on VHS. <laughs> I had it on DVD. And I don't recall, I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I, I know I, I bought that bad boy on VHS. And I made Shayla, my college roommate at the time, I, I made her watch it as well. It was, it was, I was very surprised at, at, at this movie when I saw it originally. One, because it was blackly black, black, black. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I mean, I know it was New Line Cinema and I should have expected. And if you don't know what that means, that means that like 90% of the black movies that came out at that time were released through New Line. But it it was it was it was great. It was gory. It was it was everything we needed in 1998. Yeah, I mean, I fucking still need it in 2022. <laughs> I think one of the great things about it is that because no one had any expectations for it, Mm -hmm. it got to do a lot. So let's get into the box office before I just like write my love letter to Blade. (laughs) The budget was $45 million for the movie and it made over $131 million worldwide. Blade wasn't just Marvel's first critical and financial success in cinemas. Obviously, we know about the Howard the Duck debacle, but it's also the real, the first real superhero success after the, the disasters that were Batman and Robin and Steel would check. If it weren't for Blade, <laughs> voluntary reaction. If it weren't for Blade, studios would never have gambled on Spider-Man and X-Men effectively killing the comic book movie boom before it even began. Now, there is a lot of discourse on the internet, especially with fanboys. And there's a lot of, there's like a particular meme that goes around consistently, which is people will post that Blade saved Marvel because of its success from bankruptcy. Now, the truth of the matter is that it financially, Marvel did not make a ton of money on this movie. I mean, they made peanuts because they licensed the movie out, the character mm-hmm. out. So that's one thing. But what it did do was it paved a road for them to get financial stability down the line. One, I mean, yes, they licensed most of their characters out, but they learned that they they needed to have more of an investment in their movies. They needed to make their own movies. So yep. that's what really Blade taught them. And then Kevin Feige, then he was working on a lot of these movies and Blade really just like showed him, he was able to learn a lesson from this movie that, hey, we don't need the most popular characters from the comic books to make a successful movie. So I think those are the things that we have to thank Blade for, for, that it laid out that we didn't have to have characters that were popular. We could make a ton of money. People were interested and we didn't have to stick to the like, you know, kind of formula that was being used Mm -hmm. with some of these comic book movies of being kind of kitschy or weird blade taught us we can be dark we could be gory we could curse it didn't have to be for kids that it could be for an adult audience and still make a shit ton of money so 
I think that's really important for us to remember. And also remember that when people start having these reaction to these memes and wanting to like correct the memes right away, a lot of the things that are happening with that is not because they want to correct it because it's wrong. They want to correct it because of racism, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people have glossed over the success of, of Blade and how it kicked off everything and don't want to give it that credit. And for Wesley Snipes, because he had a lot to do. He was a producer on the movie and he had a lot of say as we go through this movie, we'll find out. He really helped bring this vision together. So and that's our introduction to Blade. Very excited. And I just looked up, I'm sure it was in conjunction, probably added fuel to the fire. Islands of Adventure in Orlando opened in 1999, which is a year after Blade came out. And they had an entire Marvel area. And it was the comic book versions of the characters, but it's still like that was one of the most popular areas of islands of adventure and so i'm sure it was kind of they were kind of betting on that because they had the other different lands but once blade showed like it was a money maker they were probably like we we bet on a winning horse here like (laughs) we're gonna make some money off of this and just to note that's all pre-2009 marvel stuff because now Disney owns everything. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of the comic book, let's kind of go through really quickly about who Blade is in the comics, because there were a few things that, you know, changed. The Blade of the comics, he had fewer powers and having the ability to like sense supernatural beings was one of the powers that didn't show that in, in the movie. He was also immune to being infected with vampirism. But after the movie came out, and this happens a lot with comic book movies, if something is very popular in the movie, they will change the comic book or they will add a character. Same with some of the TV shows. I think that happened with Smallville. Like the character of Chloe wasn't, didn't exist until after the show and they added her in. So the comic version got himself bitten by Morbius, which we're about to see a Morbius movie, which is um, a vampire in this I think he showed up in the Spider-Man comics first. This imbued Blade with all the strengths and none of the weaknesses of vampires. And so this is when he became the like half mortal, half uh, vampire. And they also made him to look exactly like Wesley Snipes. (laughs) Because they are the same. The character of Wesley. A biography. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) (laughs) The character of Whistler didn't exist in the comic books until after he appeared on an episode of Fox's animated Spider-Man series. That 1994 appearance prompted Marvel to extend Whistler's existence into the comic books. I did not know this one, but the blade in the comics was English and his mother was a prostitute named Tara Brooks. So both the movie and the comic book version did have his mother taken from him by Deacon Frost but in the comics she died instead of living on as a vampire that we find out twist spoiler alert and Blade was actually saved by his mom's fellow hookers oh I mean girls gotta stick together yeah (laughs) he's been portrayed by at least 11 actors in animated shows (gasps) 
just in case we needed to fact check any information. But I have mine because hold it in front of you, Danielle. It Remember, is we in learned. Front of me. It no, is. like closer to your body. It is on me. <laughs> well, we can't see it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Hold it right there. We are, if you are just listening and wondering what the fuck is going on, um, because, because my cousin and I are like the wonder twins separated by 10 years, we both have our Marvel encyclopedias that we just nerded out and brought out. It was necessary. Yeah. My just mom, in tried, case. mom was here and tried to put it away the other day. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I need that for an episode. She's like, I can't even stand this. <laughs> uh, lastly, Marvel screwed over Blade's creator mm-hmm. when Marvel cut Marv Wolfman out of all of Blade's cash and only offered him a payment for characters created. He and artist Gene Collin tried suing Marvel for $50 million. And we already know Marvel's lawyers wasn't having that. And um, they lost the case and without even a mention of their names in Blade 2, which is really fucked up. I mean, to this day, people on social are constantly trying to put pressure on Marvel to make sure some of these artists are getting paid. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many of them got fucked over over the years and you know a lot of some of the original comic book artists are dead and their families are trying to fight it just sucks not not nice not nice at all but as business sorry i was momentarily distracted finding out that ll cool j was once attached to be played <laughs> and it fell through along with Denzel and Lawrence Fishburne and Wesley Snipes was ultimately chosen for the role, mostly in part due to David A. Goyer's interest in him and the actor's martial arts training. Well, really? So they, I think they always had Wesley in mind, but at the time Wesley was connected and attached to his like life's goal was to make the Black Panther movie Mm -hmm. at that time. And so that's what he was trying to do. He wanted to play Black Panther and um it just wasn't working out and so then he ended up doing blade so that ll that would have been the worst thing i agree i just i got distracted (laughs) by the mere mention of ll cool j what's he gonna do with these fight scenes lick his lips and tell well like mean i don't understand He's got a lot of talents, but I don't think being like, I mean, we shall see how the new Blade goes, but like, it's going to be really hard to separate the role from Wesley Snipes. I, you know what? Everyone was like, why don't we let Wesley play? I'm like, Wesley is like 60 years old. I, you know what? Black don't crack. He's a vampire. Black don't crack. I get it. And he's still probably in the best shape of his life. But I'm okay. I'm actually okay with Mahershala. Mahershala. Got it. Mahershala. All right. So let's get into it. I'm going to let y'all lead. So I'm here to ask questions and point out (laughs) what kind of car he drove. (laughs) So the movie starts with Tracy Lords which I think weird and random 
And my only other exposure, because I don't spend a whole lot of time in porn, right? Really no time in porn. So my only exposure to Tracy Lords is in Zach and Mary make a porno and she plays bubbles. Also cry baby. I saw that like once, like a long time ago. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) I do. I like John Waters. It's just not my go-to John Waters film. Gotcha. 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 So Um, for for anybody who doesn't know Tracy Lords is, or was back then, she was the it girl in porn. And there weren't a lot of people in porn that made it over into the mainstream and that's how popular she was in in the porn (laughs) in the porn in the porn and she was a last minute addition to the movie and the producers were just felt like she was just the perfect fit actually okay (laughs) i'm just telling you what the internet told me that wasn't for you it was just okay like i mean (laughs) she wasn't bad she was fine I don't think she added or took anything away from the movie. You could have taken her out and I would have not had a problem. I would have much rather had her through the whole movie rather than the The lady that dressed in white the whole time. She was was fucking annoying. I mean, I guess the role was right up her alley. She was pretending to like the stupid guy at the beginning, just like she (laughs) pretended to like the men in porn. Facts. So (laughs) the movie starts... And it looked like, for me, I was like, is this LA? And they're trying to pretend it's New York? I got confused, but I think it's LA. I definitely felt like it was New York, but. Uh, Yeah, parts of it, I felt like it was New York as well. But then that beginning scene, I was like, are we in LA? (laughs) I got to find out where it was actually filmed because y'all play with me if you think I, that all of this is New York. Anywho, they're on the streets. It's mm-hmm. night, real dark night, like two in the morning night. And you see Tracy Lord's character and you see this bumbling idiot in her car with her. And they're heading to a destination. They go down and it looks like they're in a meatpacking situation. Not sketchy at all. And this guy, he is not, no red flags, no warnings are happening for him. And they're in like the they go all the way through like a kitchen or whatever. And there's this like huge burly bodyguard that's letting them in. And the guy gets a little suspicious now all of a sudden, but all she has to do is throw that sexual energy at him. Yeah. Come and on, all baby, of a... stop using this head. Use... <laughs> <laughs> so they get in and we're in a rave now. We're in a full ass rave and you just see everybody having the time of their lives. Mm-hmm. And so the funny thing is the music feels like Prodigy, but is not. They actually asked Prodigy to to make the music in this movie and they said a new big mistake. Big Huge. mistake. Yes. So yeah, you pretty much see like the vibes. Then she starts dancing with the blonde girl that we were talking about that comes up later in the movie. Don't know her name, don't care. And they start dancing and the guy, people are just like walking by him, kind of brushing by him, pushing him. And and it, at some point somebody pokes him and he's bleeding a little bit. And we, we see some of the other side characters like sitting in the corner 
And then shit gets real because this bitch is like getting kind of pushed around. On. And yeah. And then blood starts to just fucking pour from the ceiling. The sprinkler system. The sprinkler. Yeah. Yeah. And this man is confused and scared. And yeah, the vampires came out at night. I guess they use these nightclubs to lure in the idiots and they, they go to town. <laughs> but at the same time, and this is like one of the best entrances ever, I think when the camera pans from these like utilitarian boots and mm-hmm. pans up to seeing Blade just looking at these idiots ready to tear up some ass and it just the movie kicks off with action immediately immediately he starts to he blade has a very eclectic set of weapons that he uses because he has a gun with his silver bullets he has his katana first for slicing vampires <laughs> and cutting their hands off seems to be a, a favorite pastime of his. And then he also has garlic mace. He has also in UV lights. He's just very well prepared for any situation. And he knows what kills vampires and he can take out like an entire rave of vampires. Like it's nothing. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he was a Boy Scout because he's always prepared. <laughs> he is. I always wonder, like, with that opening fight scene, I'm like, at what point, and I think this a lot when it comes to movies, like, you've ever, like, in any superhero movie, when it's, like, a clear alien or something that you know you have no chance against, and the police are there with guns, like, and I'm like, <laughs> run, what are you doing? <laughs> I feel the same way about this in the opening fight scene. Like, you just watched him kill, like, 10 of your friends. Yeah. Give it a- just right. run. Or yeah. be like, sir, do you need help? Like, can I come on to your side? You know who he is. You just want to <laughs> slaughter everybody. Just run. Yeah, we do. We're intro- introduced to Donald Logue's character, Quinn, in this scene as well. He's the one who gets his hands chopped off. Jesus. And he's like growing back weird baby hands later. I didn't yeah. like it. It was, it was Deadpool before Deadpool. Exactly. Uh, I mean, Donald Logue is just amazing hilarious and whatever he does but Danielle, you you missed the beginning we have to rewind uh, you know i didn't take notes what, what was the <laughs> beginning what part did we're, i miss where it's it's 1967 in the emergency room oh shit yeah 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 <laughs> so i'm not gonna lie i honestly forgot that sanai lathan was in this movie i know i, I was like Hey, like I did not recognize her at the beginning, but like when she was all like beautied up at the end, when she was the vampire and she like, and I noticed her a couple of times just in the background, getting out of the bed. I'm like, oh, she's just his special, special vampire lady. Yeah. Like, it's super weird. But then like, when I saw her face, I was like, oh, oh, oh <laughs> I know who that is. <laughs> I didn't forget she was in this movie because I remember when I watched it the very first time I watched it it was at the height of like all those movies coming out I think I had just seen love and basketball so I was like oh legit love this movie so the movie does start off with some black trauma yeah Sanat Lathan's character 
is on a stretcher. She's being pushed into the hospital. She is bleeding profusely, but she is also pregnant. And so they're trying to save her. They're trying to save the baby. They actually go into the OR. They're able to get the baby out. But unfortunately, we lose to Nylathan. So this is showing, you know, Blade's first, you know, memories coming out into the world alone with the, and his mother dying from a vampire attack, we find out. So it's very unfortunate, but this is very much the beginning, his origin story, 100%. Cool origin story, bruh. (laughs) Sorry, I skipped over. That is a very important component of this story in the movie, but I got really excited about the ass kicking. So back to the ass kicking. So Blade starts just using all his whip-ons and killing a bunch of vampires in blood. He is really just interrogating Quinn. He's got him up against the wall. He is stabbing him with kind of like silver stakes in his shoulders, it looks pretty painful. And he's trying to get him to tell Blade where his boss is. Mm-hmm. And this is when we realize that he works for a man named Deacon Frost. And we kind of get a glimpse of Deacon Frost, played by Stephen Dorff, a.k.a. the Dirty Man's Johnny Depp. Um, I always saw him as like the poor man's Christian Slater. I could see it. I could see it. I guess the the poor man's Johnny Depp is still Steve Ulrich. So, yes. Yeah. Ulrich? Oh, right, right, right. Ooh, shit. <laughs> Steve. We just the hell? renaming people out here in these streets. Who the hell is Steve? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Stephanie's going to be so happy we got another one. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm looking at the cast and I see Stephen Dorff. I think that's what I did. I made a doopsies. So yeah, we see Steven Dorf kind of in the club scene before things get pop in off. And mm-hmm. that is who Quinn works for. And so Blade really, man, the way he fucks him up is insane. Like he cu- he cuts off his hand. He burns that bitch up. It's, it's pretty bad. And he, Blade has to escape in the tunnels because the popo comes. Mm-hmm. And they take Quinn's body down to the morgue. And Blade takes his wonderful car. Which kind of car is it, Jackie? It is a, I don't know the year. Here, let me look up the year. It is a 1968 Dodge Charger (laughs) with modifications. So Blade heads back to their headquarters, question mark. Where is this? What is this? Is Where where are they? The Blade Blade Cave. (laughs) (laughs) It was heavy machinery. It's the only way I could describe this warehouse where they were. Apparently it wasn't too hard to find. No, not at all. He wasn't like taking no back roads. Like Blade was pretty arrogant in the fact that he wasn't really trying to hide from these vampires. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I scanned this setting quite a few times because I couldn't figure out what this was supposed to be. It feels like it's a garage. It feels like it's also near t- the the train tracks. I, I don't know. I, it's and it's big too because Blade has like a room there, and I mm-hmm. can imagine Whistler lives there as well. I feel like it's maybe a quarry of some kind. 
I don't a know. refinery it's yeah, giving me those I kinda, feels i kind of got a refinery kind of vibe too <laughs> in new york um, right we're in <laughs> we're in new york okay i yeah i looked it up it was primarily shot in um la and death valley okay and prior to blade heading back to the foundry or wherever the fuck he lives <laughs> he Donald Logue comes back to life because obviously he's burnt and unrecognizable, but he's still alive because he's a vampire. And he bites Curtis, the the guy that like works at the morgue. And then his friend Karen, I think they used to date. Yes. Um, so we're yeah, we're introduced to Karen and she is a hematologist. And mm-hmm. we do get like a one-off line that insinuates that the two of them were a couple and things didn't work out but they still work together and they're cool I don't know and, and he was annoying he asked her about something and she said something to the effect of like she didn't want to talk about their previous past and then two seconds later in the morgue he was just like so about our past it's <laughs> like let's keep it strictly about work <laughs> it seemed like they went out for one after work drink and then he was like we in love now and she's like <laughs> yeah super weird especially since like I would understand if they did this to establish that she was single so that there was like a romance between her and Blade but it's like we got this and it didn't pay off anywhere yeah weird but continue Jackie sorry Oh, no. So she's being attacked by Donald Logue. He does bite her. Poor Curtis gets like his jugular ripped out. Like he's DOA. Yeah. <laughs> and so as Karen's fighting off a burnt up Quinn, Blade busts through a window and kind of swoops in, saves the day. At first you think he's going to kill her because she's been bitten. But no, he just kind of throws her or like grabs her. Does he toss her onto another building? Well, so... Yeah. He does have the gun like he's going to shoot her, but I think the whole scene of it just, you know, her being, yes, yeah. I think he projected like his whole situation with his mom and he didn't have the heart to do it. Then in this exchange, because Quinn does get away yet again, all burnt up and crisp, Blade decides to save her. He does yoke her up real quick. Mm-hmm. And throw her across to another building because Popo is coming. And even if you are a vigilante saver of <laughs> human beings, black man got to run. So he threw, her, he threw her across and then he jumped over. And she just she just looks like she's in a dizzy man. She don't know what the fuck's going yeah. on. Yeah, I also wrote the note that her black people reaction time is very slow. Um, <laughs> when Quinn when Quinn first started attacking her her boo thing, I was just like, I mean, I understand the fight or flight and sometimes you freeze situation, but I'm just like, madam, <laughs> there's nothing you can do. You have Run. assessed the situation. Yeah, long enough. <laughs> uh, a corpse has come back to life and is eating another person. And I she mean, stood there for far too long. Yes. Too damn long. First of all, <laughs> why as a hematologist are you going to collect the samples yourself? Isn't that yeah. what a tech is for? What are yeah. you coming in there to come evaluate this situation? 
Well, I will say that Karen was originally going to be played by a white actress and Wesley Snipes really pushed for them to cast a black actress. So maybe the traits were there and they just didn't translate them when a black actress was cast. Yeah. And that, and that does happen quite a bit, but I do have to give props to the actress Naboche. When I saw this movie, I was so excited because at that point, we ha- we had had very few black action female leads, and I know she didn't. It, it she wasn't like the star star of this movie, but I think she held her own a ton with Wesley Snipes in this movie, and she was able to have a lot of good standalone scenes. She just she did a great job. She was smart. I felt like she represented very well. <laughs> I, I, I love this character. I thought the same thing. She was a little slow on the uptake, but <laughs> you know, once she got kind of like her crash course in vampirism from yeah. Blade, she definitely yeah. was like defending herself and caught on pretty quickly and had some like decent fight scenes where she wasn't this typical like damsel in distress per se. I would, I, yeah, I definitely think we we can say that we could separate the movie by the white Karen and the Nabushi <laughs> Karen. Yeah. <laughs> Like when she goes back to that apartment later, why you ain't locking the door? No, okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I got a lot to say. The only another thing to note about the scene where Quinn is a burned corpse in the rave is that Stanley actually had a scrapped cameo. He played the cop who discovered Quinn after he was burned in the rave but it was cut which is so sad now because like that's his thing and that's what he loved to do was do his marvel cameos i know it makes me i don't have my i could not find my dvd anymore and i lost my vhs so now i think i have to buy it again but i want to see if that's a deleted scene somewhere like yeah it should be i tried it should to be on put YouTube. back in the it, movie yeah, now 100 percent. so yeah blade then takes Karen back to the quarry. Is that what we're going with? Okay. The blade cave. <laughs> the blade cave. <laughs> the blade cave. And Whistler's like, we, we pick it up straight. <laughs> Whistler is no nonsense in this scene. He's just like, you should have killed her. Yeah. Like he, he has Ray, no time. Ray and everything. <laughs> yeah. He has no time. He's already taking care of Blade. Like he has no time for any any taglongs at this point in his life. So yeah, they work pretty hard to just say, okay, well, you don't have much time, and they give her some sort of garlic infused her mace something. Well, they give her some. They shoot her up in the neck to try to, I guess, reverse the symptoms as much as you as they can. Yeah, and it just um, prolongs her turning. It doesn't prevent it. Yeah, but she just so happens to be. Our bitch is a doctor, though. She a <laughs> hematologist, <laughs> so that might help be helpful later. <laughs> <laughs> she, I love how much confidence she has in this movie. That you know, her character. She's like, like, I'll fix it. Don't I'll worry. Heal. I got, I got two days. I heal myself. <laughs> right. I got this. That ain't no problem. That ain't no problem. <laughs> why y'all? Why y'all upset? Like it's fine. 
<laughs> she definitely doesn't have imposter syndrome at all. No. She she's a hundred percent confident that she she will knows this. her worth in this situation, <laughs> and she tells them quite a few times, like, "Yo, I- I'm gonna live." <laughs> <laughs> So she's looking around the quarry trying to figure out where the fuck she is. And then Whistler is, he's tying up Blade. Now for her, I would have been like, what kind of kinky shit are we getting? (laughs) (laughs) We got handcuffs. (laughs) We're putting you on it on like a reclining table. Like what's going on? Blade Blade wears nothing but leather. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, the part before that, like when they were giving her the garlic shot, they had to, like, they had to explain to her that she had been bitten by a vampire. And this bitch had the nerve to be like, vampires aren't real. Did you just not watch a burning man come to, like. (laughs) It's, hello, Karen. (laughs) Wake up, Karen. You just got fucking bit by a vampire. Yes, they exist. What did you like, think? Like, <sighs> also, this man literally threw you off a building across <laughs> like this huge, unrealistically large space, and then he hopped across it himself. Like, yeah. I know you got bit and you were a little delirious, but come on now. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's get it. I feel like my response would have been like, I knew this day would come. <laughs> right. I always knew it. What what we where's our weapons play? How are we gonna handle it? <laughs> I am ready. <laughs> Teach me the ways. Oh man. So yeah, now Blade is all tied up. It seems to be some sort of ritual that him and his his white daddy go through. And um <laughs> it's very sweet though. <laughs> Because like it, like Whistler holds his hand like they hold hands Aww. because like they did hold hands. I mean they really do care about each other as much as like Blade doesn't care about anything <laughs> he really does care about Whistler and like later on Karen kind of like calls him out on it and he's just like whatever like <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a man <laughs> yeah I, I don't need friends and whistler whistler does tell her that he found blade living on the streets when he was 13 and they've been together ever since and the character of whistler is is from a long line of vampire hunters so that's how he has all the knowledge and experience and in a deleted conversation from the script it explained how blade sword originally belonged to whistler and he gave it to him. Aw, Poppy. No. Thank you, Poppy. One thing I did miss from the, the beginning fight scene is one of the best freaking things in this movie and what Wesley Snipes does is that he plays this role so ultra serious. And then mm-hmm. in the middle of these damn fight scenes, he pulls out these pearly whites and will do a random ass smile at the camera <laughs> or he'll do a like uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how to to like describe what I it's just a, did it's, it's the power rangers yes it's morphin like, time like the only time he is truly happy is when he's kicking ass yes <laughs> I just uh, those scenes in, in this movie just make this whole movie for me hilarious so we find out that Blade <laughs> he's got the bettest the vampire Bettis, 
which yes. is aka the thirst and it's one of the curses of him being part vampire part human and apparently the the kind of medicine thing that or potion that whistler has come up with is not working or he's becoming his body is becoming used to it and, mm-hmm. and Im- immune to it essentially so his days are numbered before he can go full vampy and have to start drinking blood. And he really doesn't want to do that. So then obviously you think in the back of your head, we've got Karen, she a hematologist. She going to heal herself. Maybe she got some for Blade. Okay. Good to know. Blade does have to go on an errand. At, I, I think this is after the scene where he goes and gets the, the more serum from whoever this random guy is. Now, this is in this scene, it's very important that this is the difference between again just having someone write a black character versus having that culture. So there in this scene, it's a very small interaction. <laughs> the you know, the black man brother handshake. Yeah, I peeped it. It was Wakanda <laughs> before Wakanda, you know. It, it's such, such a small nuanced scene, but it spoke volumes pretty much. But I, you know what? I think this scene actually doesn't happen. We get the vampire board meeting first. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which, all right, answer this for me. So this board meeting that happens is all these natural born vampires. They were They mm-hmm. were born vampires. Why do they let Deacon Frost just be like, doing hanging around like why is this bitch dead i was just like the vampires from underworld would never never (laughs) that was my thought i was like the vampires in underworld like they weren't sitting in a shiny like high rise at a long table they were like in a sacred like temple and like having their conversations there i'm like these are bougie made born vampires sitting around like this high-tech like luxury condo and yeah like it made no sense and deacon was like this like sulking teenager almost like he's just stomping around and like angry for no reason he's like i'm gonna read all the ruins and figure out how to bring back the god And, and we should just kill all the humans even though they're our food source and we would probably starve thereafter but i want to do that anyway maybe because he feels inadequate not being a pureblood i don't know daddy issues it seems to me it was yes deacon was deacon a worthy uh villain uh, i mean he wasn't as bad as the villain that they had in the third movie but he was interesting. The energy that him and Wesley had was they had a pretty good vibe. But I just want to say that the board of elder vampires were punk ass bitches. Correct. <laughs> and especially the leader, I don't know who he was, what his name Oh, it was <laughs> Dragonetti. Dra- <laughs> Dragonetti. Like why? <laughs> Dragonetti, the leader of the elder vampires, was was a punk ass bitch, and he shows this three times in this movie. The first time is in this meeting mm-hmm. when he calls for Deacon to kind of account for the fact that 
he keeps having these bloody massacres in his fucking clubs and bringing attention from the humans into their business. And he does absolutely nothing when this little prick is just like, I do what I want, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Bruh. (laughs) You're my real dad and you never will be. (laughs) The second time is when he's listening to emo music in the corner on his tape player (laughs) as, as he's trying to break down the ruins. And I was real confused about what was happening there because like the elders were literally like there's no way to crack it it's a dead language you're never going to figure it out and he's like watch me but like so it seems like the computer is doing it but then like pearl's in the basement analyzing stuff so is pearl really the one that's cracking the code i didn't i had questions none of that shit made sense why y'all got all these I feel like maybe the the elders never wanted to crack it because as mm. you see later when the one chick was like, it's time for you elders to sacrifice something, you know, yeah, towards the true. cause. Yeah, that's true. They, if, they would have to sacrifice themselves for this the demon to come into play. So yeah, it, it, if you don't, again, if you don't want this to happen, why are you letting Deacon sneak in? And when you catch him, like, where are your guards? Why isn't he in the, in the elder vampire jail? Like, yeah. what, what is this? Why are you scared of this little punk ass bitch listening to the emo music in the corner? <laughs> he, even, he even slapped him like a punk ass bitch. He, he, sla- he open hand slapped him. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, and did you know that the role of Deacon was first offered to Jet Li? That shit would have been so fucking good. I mean, he would have said yeah. very little, but he right. would have fucking yeah, the fight, the, the fight been crazy. Oh man! And then also considered for the role was Mark Wahlberg, which Jesus. No. It, and you know what? I would have enjoyed watching. Wesley Snipes beat that bitch's ass up and down in this movie. Yep. And the third time that Dragonetti was a bitch ass was when he got killed. Yeah, spoiler alert, this bitch finally got killed for his <laughs> bitch asses, bitch assiness. I don't know what the word is, but him being a punk ass bitch. <laughs> he didn't put Deacon in his place and and he, he overtook burnt him up, burnt up by the sun mm-hmm. yeah i'm just i'm genuinely confused like he's we're assuming he's been alive for what a few thousand years yeah you're not old enough to know a coup on its way when you when you <laughs> see one like it's so it's weird so tragic so rewind back we're mm-hmm. at this stupid meeting deacon is not really gotten in trouble for shit and we learned that we are not to fear these elder vampires at all so there's that and then back to blade so he's pretty much told karen to go about her her business she's got mm-hmm. her shot good luck here's some go ahead jackie tell them what they gave her Oh, the the garlic mace. It was it literally looked like a can a canister of mace, but it was specially formulated with garlic because Blade does tell her he gives her some tips. So he tells her that it's garlic, UV rays, sunlight, and silver are the things that kill vampires. So he's like, here's this mace. Do with this information what you will. 
have and a nice life for the next two days. <laughs> I got know. shit to do. <laughs> so, yes, he Blade sends her out into the world. And, you know, Whistler ain't no better. He's like, if you start getting sensitive to the sun, you're done, bitch. Just... <laughs> Just kill yourself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, who needs enemies when you have friends like Whisper and Blade? <laughs> so Karen's dumbass decides to go back to her house. And when she's getting into the elevator to go, she get, so this is like a perfect example of trust your gut. She was already looking around, feeling paranoid, and she felt like the people who were getting on the elevator with her were a little creepy but she mm-hmm. fucking still won the elevator and she said she yep. had her mace ready and when she turns around the guy the people are gone and she, now she has this you know false sense of security goes into her apartment and i very much noted in my head that this bitch didn't lock the door no and and just after, also, after damn near running to her door though after right. yes down the hallway and the, the people that were in the elevator, because she was waiting behind them to get onto the elevator, and she noticed they had the same tattoos on the back of their neck. Yeah. So she's like, well, that's us. Let me get onto the elevator with them. <laughs> and then get into my apartment. Yes. And not lock the door. And, you know, Blade did tell her that the vampires were going to try to find her and sniff mm-hmm. her out. They they knew they know their own kind. So she's looking at the door and she's packing and she's getting nervous. Why are you looking at the door? You didn't lock it. I was, yeah. I was 100% screaming at the TV at this point. And sure enough, the scariest person that could have walked in the room came in. A white cop. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, it's like in Men in Black where Will Smith takes out the girl with the like, the physics book. And he's like, out of everyone in these streets, like she's the one you got to worry about. (laughs) I, I mean, it was, it was crazy. I, I would get so scared if, anybody was in my apartment yeah just because he didn't knock he was just in there I don't even know if he came in through the door he was already in her apartment when she got there that shit was fucking scary but then she also was like oh cool a cop I'm safe again this is white Karen yes these are not natural (laughs) black folk reactions (laughs) (laughs) and you know for our listeners who are like why are they making this about race? Well, because it applies. <laughs> yes, that's why. Because we are talking about a black superhero <laughs> in a black movie. Yeah, and it's Black History Month. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, pretty much this cop. He's talking to her at first as if he was concerned for her and. He tells her that he's found her her ex's body on the ground, sucked of blood with no jugular, and he came to check on her. So then her guard is down, and she's like, oh, great. But then something he says just, like, makes her alert again, and then she's got the mace. She does spray him when he tries to mm-hmm. attack her. But it doesn't work because he's not actually a vampire. Nope. He just works for a vampire, and then that's when she kind of realizes those neck tattoos are because they belong 
to a vampire and those are like their brands essentially. Yeah. And their hope is to do enough deeds for the vampire that the vampire will turn them because they want to be vampires. Well, I feel like in this case, she should have almost been a little bit relieved. Like, oh shit, you're not a vampire. So I can like (laughs) regular kill you. Yeah. (laughs) Would like to regular kill you now. Yeah. So you're like, (laughs) You're not a vampire with super strength and all that? Oh, word. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you're still a cop with a gun. And, That's true. That's fair. But she, I think she still could have rocked his ass. So Yeah. 100%. But surprise, surprise, a Black man came and stepped up for her. Mm-hmm. Here comes Blade. <laughs> <laughs> and he was using her as bait. He was using her as bait. So it was. She was kind of upset about that, but it, sorry, Karen, you weren't making smart choices. So, and then she also was like, "Oh, like when Blade was beating him up, she was just like, okay, like trying to tell him like he was, he's he, he's he's down now. Like you don't have to keep hitting him. Like, bitch, what do you mean? Let him <laughs> let him beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he she stopped him a few times. I mean, yeah. uh, yes, they're vampires." And he's also dealt with these people. They're dangerous. They're helping these people eating psychopaths do their bidding for them out of just craziness. So yeah. yeah. Blade beats his ass. They go downstairs. More fighting ensues. And the cop is able to get away. So they have to stake out his car to, to kind of be able to track him to see if he'll lead back to his bosses, aka Frost. I love the stakeout mm-hmm. <laughs> because she's in there thinking he, he's not going to be dumb enough to come back to the car. Blade's like, watch. <laughs> <laughs> like the SpongeBob meme five minutes later. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and sure enough, this idiot does come back when they were originally beating him up. They found out, I, I think they had looked in his trunk of his car and saw that he had blood when they, when they, when he comes back to the scene, then they follow him because he's a blood runner. He's bringing blood to, he's bringing blood to his to vampire friends. Yeah. Apparently yeah, they own, they own a um, blood bank. Smart. Yeah. Very smart. So it's like they, the mob, but like vampire with, style of <laughs> blood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they have their hand in a ton of other businesses. Probably, yeah. And I'm thinking one of the reasons that they don't kill Frost is because he probably brings in good money in his line of business or whatever that is. And he's like that young blood has all the connections to like the raves (laughs) and stuff, something they can't tap into because they're just like business heads at this point. Right. (laughs) But can we really ask ourselves a serious question? Are vampires with all their age and all their powers, are they really rocking capitalists? I think so. I I think in most contemporary retellings of any story that involves vampires, they have some sort of business that they run. I mean, if you're alive for 10,000 years, how are you going to be broke? (laughs) True. You've had a a long time to accumulate wealth. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I guess, I guess. So they are able to track this idiot back to wherever this secret club is. It's not even a club. I feel like we're in another kitchen. 
<laughs> situation. Yeah. yeah. And he opened, he's like, it's, it's back there behind the fridge or whatever. And then we find out that there's just like this little hallway or, or whatnot. There's lots of secret entrances in the vampire world. (laughs) I love it. It's fun. It's like a little speakeasy. And so they're able to, to go into this back door area. I don't remember what happens after this. Um, more ask, more ass kicking ensues. I think so. Frost knows that Blade is in the building. Blade is looking for the hard drive of the dead language because he knows they're after him in some form or fashion because he is a daywalker, and he knows that's important to them to do whatever dead language ritual that they're trying to figure out. So he's trying to prevent them from doing that. And he realizes that they're trying to interpret it. And down in the basement is Pearl. What is Pearl? Okay, so I have some information about Pearl. But I I don't know if Blade knows that they're going after him yet. I don't think he figures that part out until he gets a piece of the archive. And it's actually Whistler who could read the language Mm. and tells him that it's a about yeah, him. I, I, think I think he's just he was trying just, to figure out what Frost is doing. Yeah, because right. he's his end goal is to go after Frost because he knows he's up to no good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love the hand motions that you just did with that. I'm trying to find all the goody stuff about Pearl. Let me paint a picture for you. I almost <laughs> want to change my background to Pearl. Oh, so <laughs> creepy. I'm gonna find him. So Pearl is this like. It reminds me in that movie Slither. Is that the one where the like the lady is like, I don't feel so good. And then she explodes because she's full of like the snake things. Anyway, Pearl I... is just a giant vampire man. I don't know why he's as big as he is. Damn, look at his areola in this picture. Okay, so he... Pearl is like if someone from that show, like my 600 pound life got bit by a vampire. Yes. And they just still laid in bed and couldn't well... get up. So he wasn't always as big. People say that he got bigger because he was eating the hearts of children. Oh, he's fancy. There him is. I'm going to cover his titty up so we don't get flagged on anything. (laughs) Imagine if you had to bathe that. No, thank you. I'm assuming he he stopped eating the hearts of children because how is he going to catch them? he's got a skill he someone's feeding him now he still needs blood so i'm sure he's still getting the the baby well that's probably why he's of use to frost is like frost is like well you're gonna die unless someone brings you stuff so like Mm. but i'll take care of you but i need you to translate this shit for me yeah i think yeah definitely think he had a lot of knowledge base also, Pearl was supposed to be, was initially going to be a gay vampire, but they changed their minds. So that's, yeah. That's a weird flex. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't just do it, but I, I don't know. According to the director, Pearl was massive because of his penchant for eating the hearts of infants and children. So weird. yeah. Guess, 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 guess. So I don't feel so bad. So Blade and Karen, dynamic duo, are there to start interrogating Pearl. They do get a call from Deacon, and Blade Mm -hmm. and Deacon finally have their face-to-face through video 
very fancy for 1998. High tech. We see that, I just want to say Stephen Dorff, but Deacon, there you go. We see that Deacon is not at the location and Blade had originally thought that he had tracked him there, but he did not. He's he's two two steps ahead of Blade, but now Blade is becoming a real problem for Deacon. And now he's going from def- he's decided after this whole situation to go from defensive to offensive um, because Blade is just getting too close. And after he like disappears, this is when Pearl is like, I'm not telling you nothing. I'm not telling you nothing. And he's like, oh yeah, let's get the light. And so <laughs> Blade gets the UV light out and well Karen it didn't take long to get the No, Karen's like, let, let me have a piece of that. <laughs> and she fries him good, just like mm-hmm. some Oh, it's real bad. So she, she she's got the UV light. She tells him, uh Blade tells her if he if he even moves, burn him up. Yeah. And it's this, when Deacon is looking for Blade, he keeps telling, like, he reiterates to everyone he sees, like, I want Blade alive. Yeah. So, you know, like, he has something planned because he needs Blade. It's not like he's just looking to get rid of him. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and like, it seems like the lower level area, what it reminded me of was in the Da Vinci Code when they had to go into like the the sacred text rooms and it was all like temperature controlled and humidity controlled and everything. So they had the sacred scrolls, the pages from the Book of Erebus, all encased in glass, but like hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. It was really weird. And then they just fight and they're like knocking through all of these glass cases that have sacred texts and they're all like are we not respecting the fact that these are like priceless artifacts like I felt like Indiana Jones like no, it belongs young, in a museum no these young kids don't <laughs> give a shit they don't care it's it but it is a little odd because it seems like Deacon needs them not even just needs it he has an appreciation for the the history and he's mad at the he's mad at the elder vampires for not appreciating this culture and not you know feeding into it so Mm -hmm. yeah it is a little random but deacon is not there and he's he has sent his band of idiots so yeah it's true donald Logue with his like baby hands because they're just growing (laughs) back from blade chopping them off my so I think Blade gets fooled by a little child in this scene. She chun lees the shit out of him. (laughs) Like, so she's like running around and giggling and like hiding behind all of the like hanging pages and stuff. And he thinks like they've kidnapped this little girl. Mm -hmm. And probably it's his trauma, his past trauma that he was a child that was half in the vampire world, half in the human world. And so he's like trying to, you can't tell if he's like trying to rescue her, but he he's trying to at least capture her in some capacity. And then like, he finally catches up with her and she was like, surprise, Sorry. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she gets a few licks in for mm-hmm. sure. 
And then they were, they're able to steal some of Blade's weapons. And so they're like stabbing him with his silver stakes and stuff and like kind of torturing him and fucking with him because they know they have to keep him alive because Deacon said so. But at the same time, like they're getting their revenge. (laughs) Well, what, you know, Quinn in particular, Quinn Mm -hmm. is going for for broke and now we find out they've got karen they got karen (laughs) no karen (laughs) but But it's all right it's all right karen is running her mouth that's for sure Mm -hmm. and then blade's like oh i was expecting company and here comes whistler just driving through the side (laughs) of the building like what's up motherfuckers (laughs) i will say that whistler did y'all notice that he chris christopherson looked like he had been doing some weights before the movie he had a nice little definition in his arm y'all didn't notice that i didn't pay attention i noticed it okay I mean, I, I, I'm usually checking out an old man all the time, but not in this case, it was just legitimate observation for, for sure. For science. For science. For science. I was doing it for science. <laughs> and so they are now planning their escape. They, Whistler has created a hole for them to, to like get out and a distraction. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're running and apparently they're in a subway station and they also have prepared some bombs to blow some more shit up. And now we have another scene where they're, you know, trying to escape, but they're also fighting the vampires with the train coming. So, so this scene gave me so much anxiety because it's one of my fears to fall into the train tracks. And I mean, fair. Same. Yeah. Um, and Karen, of course this bitch on them fell onto the floor but she does still save blade she does she tosses him his katana and is able to he's able to do some damage he got the other hand yeah (laughs) she Mm -hmm. got the blade she got the blade for blade (laughs) and then he was able to help pull her up but the way she realized she has to because blade is only i mean he kind of acted like he didn't give that much of a fuck about her. Right. Like, if you start turning, you're going to die anyway. So <laughs> she's, like, going through trial by fire. She doesn't have the luxury of being the damsel in distress because Blade is like, I mean, I guess I'll save you. Like- <laughs> and and he's always throwing her around. Yeah. In this scene, the train is coming, and his decision is, all right, I'm going to yoke you up again, and we jump it on this train. Yeah. That, that was a little scary. You could tell she yeah. was like, what the fuck, man? Y'all, you better stop throwing me everywhere like a goddamn right. rag doll. <laughs> and we do see a little bit of Blade's susceptibility, because, like, when he grabs the train, his arm's yanked out of the socket, and so he has to, like, put it back in. I did not notice that. I noticed yeah. Chris Christopherson's arm but not the not and then he had the nerve to look at her when she because like remember in the first scene when he threw her out the window her arm was dislocated and he was just like and, yeah you know and then in this scene he's like oh my arm's dislocated and she goes to fix it and he's just like <laughs> like don't touch me <laughs> she should have totally been like it's okay i'm a doctor right <laughs> 
<laughs> he was acting like a little bitch in that. He scene. was, dude. Exactly. You get tied up every night for your serum shots, and you talk about this little dislocated shoulder situation. Right. Yeah, ridiculous. So now the we see Frost is in his penthouse, and Mercury is the the lady dressed in white's name. So Mercury is like creaming him like she's rubbing cream all over him and at first I was like do, do vampires just need are they... <laughs> sorry Jason giggity <laughs> and I'm like do vampires like do they just get dusty they need a lot of lotion like he what's was, going on but then I realized <laughs> he was trying to prevent the ash in more ways than one because then they are, are able to go out in the daylight because they put uv cream all over themselves essentially and so this is when they uh take the elder the eldest elder the head elder out and it's just before dawn and so essentially he's like it's my show now, bitch. Pulls out his canines and leaves him for the sun to come up. This bitch ass again. This is the the third time I said that he acted like a bitch ass. Mm-hmm. He didn't try to run. Don't you got mm-hmm. super speed or something? Like you exactly. just are your vampire oh. powers. Oh, exactly. okay. I'll go with you. Oh. <laughs> Someone. I think he right. was just done. like. <laughs> Several millennia later, like right. there, there's nothing left for me here. Just, just get it over with. Ridiculous. And so, Deacon does take the fangs back to the rest of the board members and like tosses them on the table like he's playing fucking Yahtzee. <laughs> and <it's> like, <laughs> and they're just all okay with it. Like, oh, yes, <laughs> yes. So they're just like. And even when they go in a couple of scenes, when they're essentially held hostage to perform the ritual, they all just kind of like calmly get up and like follow their assigned henchmen to the chambers. Like it's so fucking weird. No one tries to fight Deacon at all. It doesn't like... I'm like, does he have secret pictures of them? Like, what <laughs> is going on? It doesn't make any sense. Y'all aren't even acting like vampires. This this is ridiculous. I yeah, that perplexing. A hundred percent. The elders from Underworld would never, never. Okay? When, Cal, uh, what's her name? Cal. When Kate Beckinsale woke him, woke homeboy up from a nap too early. He was like, "Bitch, I wasn't awake <laughs> for." 10,000 more years. Even the Volturi from Thank Twilight you. had more to say. <laughs> and I'm really sad that I remembered that they were called the Volturi because I wish I didn't know that. Honestly, in my life of watching vampire movies, I had never seen shit like this before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ridiculous they have to be at the bottom of the barrel yeah yeah for sure so now we see karen she's working on some stuff back at the quarry she's curing herself that's what she's doing yeah she's like a black woman can a black woman can (laughs) and she realizes that she she, 
she says the chemical compounds and stuff, but essentially it's this serum that makes vampire blood explode. And so she's like, this might be useful. It's not what I'm going for, but it might be useful. And then we see Whistler, he's kind of struggling to breathe. He's coughing. He's not coughing. That that dude's yakking a lung. I think I saw a piece of lung on the floor. <laughs> and well, and we find out that he has cancer. Aww. So he's just like, fuck my life. And then we see a, a scene with Frost and he's talking about what his goal is. And it's essentially like natural selection vampires are going to take over the earth we're going to rid the earth of humans which like patrice said that's your food source motherfucker not a smart plan but i think he's thinking like fuck everyone else because if i'm like turned into the main god then like i won't need humans or something That's the only thing I could speculate as to why he didn't care that he was getting rid of food source for the vampire. I feel like he should have talked to Magneto (laughs) about a better plan. Yeah, like genocide is typically not the best plan. And so I think it's this scene also is when Karen kind of cracks the code and figures out how to turn herself back into a human or stop the progression yeah but she realizes that she can't do it for blade because blade was born mm-hmm. was born this way um, <laughs> so he can't you know she can't use the same treatment for him mm-hmm. but she's working it through blade goes on his errand this is my yes. scene behind me and then across the street he finally sees frost so they're mm-hmm. having their face off Mm-hmm. And at that time, at the quarry, it is being attacked by the cronies. Yeah. So during it, it, this face-off, I would like to point out during this good Black History Month where Frost calls him an Uncle Tom, that was concerning. He also called him brother, and then later on calls Karen sister. I was like, what are we doing here? What's... He's giving... He's giving villain vibes racist villain vibes yes <laughs> nah <laughs> i don't like it don't at like all. it all hard pass um uh, so yes while blade and frost are having a leisurely stroll through the park children across the house oh my gosh that poor little girl <laughs> and he like straight up held her by her head i'm like that then just chucked into oncoming traffic by frost and blade's and, not concerned either and then Barely. he's like he's like oh he was, i think he was only concerned once he saw she landed like in the middle of the street yeah like if she had just if she had just landed on the sidewalk <laughs> he'd have been like all right bet and yeah like, <laughs> and pro- i think he was also kind of like there's probably people watching me right now if i don't try to do something <laughs> right. i don't even think if he i don't think he cares if people are watching him because when frost yoked that little girl up by her neck he was like mm. and blade was like it was it was literally <laughs> that scene between p diddy and that contestant that meme where it's just like <laughs> 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 like 
I don't know this little girl, so this means nothing yeah. to me right I now. <laughs> and that is that is exactly why Frost was like, okay, well then, fuck, bye. <laughs> Yo, I'm gonna watch that scene before I go to bed. This shit was hilarious. Um. So now, while that's going on, at, back at the quarry. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the quarry. <laughs> Quinn and friends are fucking Karen and Whistler up. They <laughs> There was too much of a gap between yeah. Sorry. I was like fucking Karen. I was like, they fucking I mean, like care. I was like, did I miss that part? <laughs> I mean, I could very easily see it going that way. Thank God it didn't. But yeah. Um, <laughs> seems like vampires don't have very many boundaries. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah, they're fucking Karen up and they're fucking Whistler up and they're able to capture Whistler. They strap him down to Blade's chair and they're just like torturing him essentially and they start biting him. So now my poor whistler i personally felt like the blade cave should have had more security yeah yeah or or fail safes for like you you, there's not like a button you can flip that's gonna flood this place with uv rays there's a hundred percent but i think he learns from this because i believe in the third third or second movie he does have a fail safe i think it's the third movie yeah so he learns from this never again he said (laughs) right (laughs) so when blade comes back to the quarry he sees things are awry and then he finds whistler under a bed sheet all bloodied up and he it's very emotional a lot was spoken without being spoken And but then like I jumped a little bit when this happened because he was alive still. I was like, damn, Whistler, you got like 20 lives. Yeah, but he leaves a gun for him because obviously he's gonna turn. So mm-hmm. um, But Whistler does tell him don't go after him. Like that's what he wants. Right. Do not go after him and blade. But Blade's like that bitch Karen. Karen. Oh well. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, (laughs) (laughs) maybe he's starting to see value in Karen in the fact that she was like working on some blood stuff. He thinks she's fine. Let's let's call an ace and ace. I mean, that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about Karen that he can't quite put his finger on that he does. He does think she's she's cool lady. She's a cool lady. So like you said, he leaves a gun with Whistler and it's, you hear the gunshot off screen. And so now he has another, he's, he has more fire lit under him because now they've fucked with his family, essentially. Little Nobody does he kills know. white daddy without me getting my vengeance on. <laughs> and so I have a note that says Karen Frost Cure. Well, so has Karen cured herself by this point? She, yeah, she has because when they, they, when, they when she finds Blade, she has to feed him. 
Yes, that is correct. But she does say to Deacon later, I healed myself before and I can do it again. She's very capable and knows how capable she is. So So Blake comes in, he's he's coming in hot. And so they he he starts shooting people with like little serum arrows. And they're like, ha, nice try. And then they start like boiling from the inside and exploding. So then the other vampires are like, oh fuck. This <laughs> fight scene when he comes in is really good. It it, mm. it is really, really good. And, and it do, holds up, it holds up really well. A hundred percent. And I do want to remind the audience that this movie came out before the matrix and i and people don't recognize how much this movie influenced so many other movies mm-hmm. after it i mean we look at the matrix and think that was the the starting point but blades look at this trench coat yeah it, it's a hundred percent neo trinity vibes with the sunglasses and everything everything True. and on top of that that coming into an office building fight near the elevators i mean i was seeing it but you know nobody wanna i'm reading a really interesting book i always get the title wrong let me let me pull it up best movie year ever and the subtitle is how 1999 blew up the big screen so there's a whole chapter about the matrix the, the matrix and the wachowski twins and kind of how they pulled influences a lot from anime and just like all the different influences that they pulled from to create the matrix it it is a really really fascinating book it was actually recommended by nick via his friend zaki he hassan you can follow him um, on twitter zaki zaki's corner z-a-k-i-s corner he's a author a film critic and a professor so but he, this book came highly recommended from him via Nick. Nice. Back to the movie. So Blade is beaten ass, taking names. And what we discover is that they're, I, I think they're in some cave-like situations, like a whole structure that the elders built. And it was built to summon this blood god. How did they build it if they couldn't read the dead language for the instruction booklet? Um, they Were there Ikea pictures? And I how think is they... it a dead language when literally everybody is in little? You mean to tell me there's no one alive who remembers this language? And, and people are speaking, speaking it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holes in the plot, holes in the plot. Because it says, it it was actually a UCLA linguistics professor, Victoria Frumkin, was hired to design a vampire language after she worked on the series Land of the Lost. And despite the fact that the vampire's language was finally used for two scenes when a vampire elder berates Frost and when Pearl yells about the blood god. And then, and it says, although it sounds like Slavic or Hungarian, it hints to Eastern European origins as a reference to Transylvania. And she intermixed vaguely Russian and Czech words to create the vampire language. Interesting, interesting. So, what but I yeah, mean. they keep saying it's a dead language we can't read. Maybe they were just lying to him. Like they could read read it the whole time, and they're like, "Baby, we don't know the instructions for that. Like, just <laughs> give it up." Yeah, well, it makes sense because it seems like 
one of the parts of the rituals is that you need original vampires Mm -hmm. to summon the gods. So of course, you know, I'm not going to tell you that you've got to kill me to get this, you know, crazy God to come out. Yeah. So they, they needed the sacrifice of a bunch of born vampires. And so frost lackeys all go grab their self an elder find your your ritual buddy and they walk <laughs> them all into this stone shrine Weak. and they, all just, <laughs> they just stand there too like they don't try to escape they don't try At to all. do anything put up zero type of fight yeah like they're just like okay well i guess this is happening <laughs> like it's so weird So while all of this is happening, Frost puts Blade into like this stone. It it just so happens to fit Blade perfectly. Like (laughs) there is a man size cutout, and he shoves Blade in there. And then there's another piece of the stone that comes and like encapsulates him. And then we find out the way Blade's arms are positioned when the stone closes it severs his veins and his wrists so he's bleeding out but his blood is being led somehow magically like there wasn't really trenches or anything it's just magically traveling where it needs to go yeah this whole science (laughs) yeah it's vampire science apparently it is like the blood is defying gravity and knows exactly <laughs> the trail it needs to take to get to all the elders and it's dripping like very specifically on the elders heads it's very a, a little more thought could have been pro- put into this scene Correct. i don't know i didn't know what the fuck was going on but i do know karen got dropped into this sand dune situation i was oh like gosh. karen I was like, she's going to narthle the Garthog. Like, yeah. I was like, what's going on here? But no, it's her old, uh, her old buddy. What's it's his my, name? It's my worst nightmare to be running into exes. Curtis. Yeah, she runs into her ex who is now a vampire. And he's like, baby, I still want to date you. Come I here. Mean, in, in all honesty, he was a vampire before, but now yes. he's like a physical one versus yeah. an emotional vampire. <laughs> but, you know, she socks it to him real quick. And I don't mean sexually. She knocked that ass out. She mm-hmm. killed him. Oh, and we missed the best part. Not the best part. An important part where Blade gets into Frost's bedchamber and the coffin bed lid raises. And oh, oh. Mama, is that you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did forget that. <laughs> that was the least enthusiastic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't meant to sound that way. I was generally like, oh, yeah, like we forgot. Like she helped capture him. And that's his mom. Like we definitely forgot that part. Yeah. So that's that's how they kind of distract him so that they can capture him. And they also take his serum, like that that keeps him from having the lust, and they like chuck it. And so well, now they it's thought, like they thought that thought it was, was a serum. It was yeah. really right. the head exploding. Uh, right. <laughs> so so now it's like stuck very nicely in like a groove of the stones somehow (laughs) but now his mom is kind of like 
Hey, baby, it's me. <laughs> I know I said I was going to the store for some cigarettes, <laughs> but I'm back. <laughs> See, Whistler did a good job with you. Yeah. <laughs> and, we ki- and we killed him now, so I don't owe him any back child support. Blade's stuck in the stone. He's bleeding out. Karen finds him, is able to, like, push the magic button that releases him. And she realizes, like, oh, my gosh, he's lost a lot of blood here feet on me and so he's he's being revitalized this is, this is oddly sexual might I yeah add. very sexual and also dude can i live can i live <laughs> yeah like oh, i'm gonna tap when i feel like you've had enough yeah <laughs> it, it, it felt like some of my past relationships <laughs> jesus I'm just trying to get out for my life, you know? I'm just trying to get Quinn, while this is happening, while Karen is saving Blade, the blood is dripping on the heads of the elders. Quinn's insert very excited. Long, insert long Sailor Moon style transformation time <laughs> wherein any of these elders could have attempted to escape. Yes. But, but sat there and waited for this to happen. But then like all the lackeys get nervous at the last minute, like... Is this what we really want to be doing? (laughs) Yeah. And so they all try and peace out at the last moment. Does not work out well for them. I I can't even, like, they die somehow. I don't even remember what happens. Well, Karen, she, she become, you know, she's the bold and the beautiful over here. She, she's climbing (laughs) her way out, even Mm -hmm. though she just had. 90% 90% of her blood taken out mm-hmm. but you know black woman's job is never done she gotta <laughs> she gotta help Blade she finds one of the idiots and takes his shotgun I think and she just starts clocking bitches yeah mm-hmm. and and while Karen's sniping people Blade is fighting with his mom this is tragic on so many <laughs> levels but yeah he gotta kill mama and she says Eric I'm your mother <laughs> oh her Sinai's New York accent she can't hide it no matter how many times she tries you wouldn't hurt your mother would you <laughs> I just find it interesting because they play mother and son in this movie obviously Wesley is a, a lot older than mm-hmm. Sinai Sinai or Sina. I we keep doing this we've done like three movies of this woman and we <laughs> always mess up her name but they were also they played love interest in Disappearing Acts which was mm. a I think it was like an HBO or it was a TV movie from one of Terry McMillan's books Terry McMillan who wrote Waiting to Exhale mm-hmm. and How Stella Got Her Groove Back so whenever I see this movie and their interaction I'm just always like it's weird y'all used to kiss side note am i the only one who didn't know that how stella got her groove back was a book (laughs) and that it ended terribly because the guy ended up like running off with all her money in real life well i'm glad you brought it up you should check out last week's episode how stella got her groove back (laughs) (laughs) okay i will (laughs) So I'll let yeah. you know. Okay. But yeah, yeah girl, it was messy. No idea. I was like, this is basically a storybook of like a 90 day fiance situation. That's exactly what Danielle <laughs> called it. <laughs> that movie is 90 day fiance before 90 day fiance was a thing. Because yeah. it literally like, after she leaves Jamaica, it's, she, 
there's literally exposition that's like, it's been three months. So now the ritual is closer to be being complete. And this is where the movie takes a turn where up till now you're like, this shit has aged pretty well. Like there's <laughs> nothing I can really complain about. The fighting's on point. Like we're good. And then these skeleton bats erupt from the elders and they legit look like when Mary Poppins goes into the painting and like she's acting with the animation yeah that's what it looks like like it is not good CGI and are they raping him why like what's going on they're flying in and out of him this is when Quinn and Mercury peace out because like the bats are like literally flying through Deacon Frost and they're like "Mm, I'm not down with that shit and so they take off and Deacon's like I'm here for it I'm going to become the blood god and as Mercury is running Karen got her mace so she's able to take care of her always prepared in a situation (laughs) and that bitch blows up yeah and then does frost say hey blade let's do this because that's what i wrote down and i feel like that's not something i would have come up with organically (laughs) yeah no i think they have some real there's some real winners in this dialogue between these two (sighs) to be specific so when they were discussing the character of deacon frost wesley snipes was describing him as the kind of guy who would ice skate uphill Stephen Norrington and David S. Goyer love the phrase so much that they actually worked it into the film, which is one of the things that happens in the scene. And I can say this fight scene is very good. And I think the fight scenes work so well in this movie because Wesley Snipes is so well-versed in martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he does. Yeah, he's a, he's a fifth Dan black belt in sh- Shotokan karate and a third dan black belt in taekwondo and a second degree back black belt in hapkido he also practices kung fu kapiria eskirma and brazilian jiu-jitsu and he has been training in martial arts since the age of 12 i'm sure i fucked up some of those words i apologize <laughs> i tried my best yeah, but he is Caparea, i think was one of them but he he is highly skilled in martial arts in hand-to-hand combat i i admire that about him well yeah and then there is a scene where okay so blade is like fighting deacon pretty hands-on and it seems that he's getting some few a few licks in for Mm -hmm. sure but then at some point (laughs) deacon goes it's my turn Uh, (laughs) and he starts doing all this weird shit but apparently that line is an homage to the Lost Boys. Yeah. yeah. And then my favorite fucking part, <laughs> this whole damn movie, is when Blade does, he, he has his katana, he slices right through, he like cuts off Frost's hands, dumb shits fall off. But when he slices through his belly, it's like, you know what it is? It's like a gusher. Yeah. It's like a gusher, those fruit snacks. And when you like put pressure on it, all this gooey stuff comes out. It's like that, but except 
it pulls back his body together and we realize that he's kind of indestructible in this state. And Blade turns to look at him and goes, and he <laughs> mouths, what the fuck? And when I tell you, I was sitting on my couch by myself, dying, fucking laughing. <laughs> the shit was hilarious. I, I would watch that movie a million times over just to get to that scene because it's so it's so over the top and hilarious. And uh, and that is actually an an homage to a fistful of yen segment up from the Kentucky Fried movie of 1977. And so this scene is when once he cuts through him with the katana, Blade realizes that he cannot win this way. And so now he is putting his effort. He he has spotted what. Deacon thinks is his serum, but what he knows is the blowing up juice that Karen has put together. And so he's finally able to kind of wrangle it from the the rocks. And then he starts to slowly like send each one of these bottles into Frost's body and essentially blows him the fuck up. Now, one thing to know about this scene is that the original ending of this movie did not test well at all when they tested it with the audience because there was this like blood tornado guy it was it, you go on youtube go watch it this shit is weird and hilarious at the same time and it it's it, blood tornado that's the only thing <laughs> i can explain it so like bad cgi blood tornado yes like this description that the blood tornado frost morphed into looked like someone barfed globules of ketchup onto the film. It looked like their special effects team consisted of a kid with unlimited jelly and a blind man. <laughs> so that's where we are with the blood tornado. <laughs> that's funny. That that was pretty spot on. But instead, Frost just gets lumpy and explodes. <laughs> As per the head exploding juice. Yes. Uh, and still, CGI, not great. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a not great. So now they get Blade out of the sanctuary or wherever the fuck they are. They get him back to the quarry lab, back to the Blade cave. <laughs> and And Karen says, I don't think... I can cure you. And he's like, I don't need to be cured. I just need a better serum because I'm becoming immune to the serum that Whistler developed. So she's like, all right, I can deal with that. Like first things first. And then some time has passed and now we see the Kremlin. So establishing shot, we're now in Russia. And there's a similar situation to the beginning of the movie where this girl and guy are on a date. I don't even remember which one is the vampire, but Blade shows it's up. the to, guy. Is it the guy this mm-hmm. time? So the girl is a, a, in distress and Blade shows up to kind of show now he, he's kind which of. Which I kind of found odd because I'm like, there has to be so many vampires right there. Just in LA, Pulse yeah. of America. Like, what are you doing all the way in Russia? Yeah, it may it must have had some ties to to Marvel in some way. Like he was going to meet up with another 
adversary or something. I'm questioning that too. So what happened was that Stephen Norrington and David Goyer decided that they were going to make a teaser. Like they had that whole idea of, you know, how we're so used to in the MCU having Mm -hmm. that end clip. They had one and it was going to be Morbius which we now know we're getting another movie. We're getting at that movie with Jared Leto. And Not so it was going to be good, by the way. Yeah, I'm concerned. Morbius <laughs> was going to make his de- debut at the end of this movie and directly teasing a sequel. So they had the foresight to really think that they were going to get a sequel after, you know, when they were making this movie, but it got cut. So yeah, so maybe that's why they were in Russia I'm I'm not sure I don't know if this is to try to expand upon that Blade is going to ex- in the next movie expand from just being the neighborhood vampire killer to he went I'm going global bitch because <laughs> of the robot. second <laughs> <laughs> but I mean in the second movie we we do see him engage on a little bit worldly vibes situ- situation my question is, because I haven't seen Blade 2 in so long, I thought Whistler was dead, but I thought Whistler was alive in Blade 2. I yes. had the same thought, too, because I'm like, oh, Whistler, I love Whistler. And I haven't seen the first Blade, so I would only know Whistler from two or three. And then he shoots himself. I'm like, hold on. But how... But I know him and I love him. Like, yeah, what has happened? So I guess they just find, I'm sure there's a very loose explanation as to how. I'm guessing that maybe Karen shot him up with her cure. That's all I can think of. He found her cure and. Or he had turned, this is a probability. He had turned so much that he, when he shot himself, he didn't die because he was too much of a vampire. So Karen was able to use her serum to change him back into a human. The thing that makes me the most sad is that Karen does not return for the sequels, which, you know, there's no logical explanation why they wouldn't bring her back. And I also feel like if they had written this character originally for a white actress, this is why we didn't actually get some sort of love interest vibes for the movie, which is also disappointing because they would have been beautiful. We just get in it and it an instant an innuendo of it r.i.p karen I, I i miss her she was great there was like her maybe she's was... just out there curing people yeah but i want to see the curing karen <laughs> i want to see it and we deserve <laughs> to see it like it just sucks it, it it also again this is the blackest version of the blade movies because mm-hmm. it became so successful it got whiter Yep. I, I, I hate to say it, but it's the truth. The third one was the whitest version we got. Are there any other um, fun facts that we want to... I, I just think it's interesting that Quinn was supposed to be a much smaller role, but Donald Logue was so funny on set that his character was expanded and he was out allowed to ad-lib a good portion of his dialogue. It does feel like he was just doing whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did get that vibe. 
David Fincher was an initially attached to the film, but something happened where he had to drop out. But he was so much in it that he helped develop the script. And the very first scene that Stephen Dorff filmed, Deacon, was that scene on the street that, mm-hmm. you know, it's behind me. And on that day, David Fincher actually came onto the set. So it was just like a very chaotic day for shooting. And probably, I'm sure, a little nerve-wracking as well. But yeah, so he had a lot to do with the film, but really didn't wasn't a part of the film at the same time. So I thought that was interesting. And I bring this up too, because the director they ended up getting, there's just so much dialogue behind the scenes from the cast about how unhinged Stephen Norrington, direct quote, he was an unbelievable nightmare to work with. What, this is from one of the producers. He was completely crazy and imbalanced. Cool. And cool, cool, cool. another quote, he was a complete crazy guy, <laughs> but a brilliant visualist. He actually drew all of the tattoos for Wesley Snipes and he drew half the sets. It was literally his vision and I, great sets. Yeah. But he did not come back for the second movie. And the one thing that we can say is everybody on the set says that nobody, not even some of the writers know more about Blade than Wesley Snipes. Uh, it, because one person. Uh, they, because it's it, an autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Clark Kent Superman. There, It's just the same person. Uh, Engelman was a little bit of a jackass. He said Wesley was a bit lazy. He wanted to leave early on Friday, come in late on Monday. And the first day he says, actually, I don't think Blade is going to talk very much. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that he was being lazy. I think that he knew what Blade's character was going to be. And also, dude, I'm setting boundaries. Those sets the hours that they have some of these people working on. Yeah. And he's doing like all of his, I, I mean, I don't have confirmation that he did all of his son, stunts, but I'm assuming he probably right. did the vast majority, if not all of them. He's doing like physical shit, 90% of this movie. And he's a if producer. He, yeah, yep. like if he wants, and you know what? That That's just boosting morale. Hey y'all, let's have half days on Fridays and come in late on Mondays. Extend that weekend a little bit. I never right. appreciate when any white man goes on record and has the gall to tell, say a black man was lazy. Yeah, I that did not sit well with me either. Being a black man in America is anything but lazy. Okay, Have, thank you. Like, did, but did you see the movie? Like, <laughs> did you see what right. he did in this role? Right. Mind you, this was all for a film that they weren't even sure was going to like do good. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mm. and this is okay. This, I think this is the last thing, but there's one big reason Snipes wanted to do this movie. And it, he was asked why he, you know, really wanted to be attached. And he said, I get to kill everyone. I get <laughs> to be as vicious as possible. And everyone cheers Am I, and I'm not a bad guy, he says. Where else can I do that? So he just loved the idea that he could be this vampire killer and just go crazy, have any lines. And it was terrific for him. Yeah. But he took it very seriously. 
not lazy. Yeah. And I think it's very true for honestly, when, what, besides like maybe Candyman, (laughs) when do you get to see, I mean, before this movie, when did you really get to see a black man killing a bunch of people without it seeming like he was the bad guy? Like you were rooting for him to kill all these people. Yeah. Right. I don't think we were rooting for Candyman to kill people though. So (laughs) we weren't rooting for it, but at the same time, we were just like, well, why the fuck do you keep saying his name? (laughs) (laughs) You did it to yourself. (laughs) You signed up for this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now that we're done with the movie, Patrice, what is your current day rating of this movie? I'm going to say still would buy, would buy again. I enjoyed it still. It holds up well. The fight scenes and everything hold up well. CGI is a little, but aside from that, I'm yeah. digging it. Jackie? Uh, I'm going to go five day. I a hundred percent would would buy it again. Would buy it again. Okay. It does hold up very well. Mm-hmm. And I like to look at these Marvel movies on how well they perform, on how angry I am as I'm watching them. And I can say that I don't get very angry watching this movie. It doesn't make a lot of. I mean, there's some camp in this mm-hmm. movie. I'm not gonna lie, but it's fun. It's a fun ride. And I think without those like little nods of humor or like where he stops and smiles or the what the fuck, like, yeah, it would have just been way too serious a movie. Like you had to have fun going through this journey of Blade and Frost. And I think Blade One does better at having comedy or or adding those layers in than how it got to um, by the time we had Blade 3, the Trinity, and even how sometimes it feels very forced in the MCU at times. Mm-hmm. So I think they did a very good mix of both. Yeah. And I think it also goes to show that a movie doesn't have to be perfectly comic book accurate in order for it to still be enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you hear that, Brian Singer? <laughs> Do you hear that? I hope you raggedy, swallow glass. Raggedy bitch. I can't um, wait to do X-Men. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what a piece like, of shit. <laughs> well, if you'd like some more hot takes on <laughs> X-Men, Blade, whatever, any Marvel entity, let us know by hitting us up on our socials at on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at No More Late Fees. And if you want to get to know our girl a little bit more and send her some words of encouragement to get this podcast started, tell them how to find out about you, Patrice. You can find me on at Thou Be For Blurred on the Instagram. That's all we're <laughs> at right now, but we're expanding. We're working on it. And if you want to be featured in an episode... Hit us up at our quick drop, 909-601-NMLF, 909-601-6653, or anchor.fm. You can leave us a voicemail. Nerd out with us. Send us your opinions on the MCU. We want to hear everything because we have hard opinions too. And you could be featured on a future episode. 
And if you think more people should listen to the show, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, like our pal Lee Living did. Nostalgic fun is the title of this review. No More Late Fees is like a sweet stroll down movie memory lane with two friends who bounce off each other effortlessly while chatting about the iconic movies you forget you loved. It's fun to wind back the clock, and it's extremely fitting that this podcast launched on Rex Manning Day with an episode on Empire Records, Sugar High. Aw, thank you. Thanks, Lee Living. Stay tuned for next week as we get animated with the Goofy movie. And as always, be kind and rewind. Are you a fan of nostalgia? Have you ever rewatched a film from your childhood and thought, what the hell was I thinking liking this so much? Or have you ever rewatched a film and thought, wow, I forgot how amazing this movie was? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then we have a podcast for you. My name is Steph. And I'm Lex. And we are Chasing Childhood, a weekly podcast where two 20-something-year-old cousins review our and your childhood favorites. From The Wizard of Oz to Shrek and everything in between, we're out to see if that movie you loved as a kid still holds up now that we're adults. We release new episodes every Wednesday, and you can find us on all podcast streaming platforms. Give us a follow on Instagram and TikTok at Chasing Childhood Podcast and on Facebook at Chasing Childhood. Join us and let's chase our childhoods together.